Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, June second episode of Poets and Muses. We chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. With us today is Dallas Summers, who will be discussing his poem "Mother and Mine Betting Against the House" with me during this episode. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry events taking place during the week of June 3rd. I also want to tell you about a wonderful fundraiser taking place during the month of June that our poet guest of April 28th, Rosaura Mangana, is doing. To fundraise for her bilingual bookstore Palabras, which is the only bilingual bookstore in the state of Arizona, you can find the link to her fundraiser in this week's Poets and Muses newsletter, or search for Palabras Bilingual Bookstore on Indiegogo.com. From Monday, June third to June fourteenth, ten a.m. to three p.m. Phonetic Spit will be hosting its Page to Stage, a free two-week summer writing performance and professional development intensive workshop for kids between the ages of 15 and 19. It's at the Mesa Art Center at One East Main Street in Mesa, and you can sign up by calling four eight zero six four four twenty one sixty two. Or at mesaartscenter.com/page-to-stage. On Monday, June 3rd, from 7 to 9:30 p.m., Savannah Lutman and Phoenix Firebird Events will be hosting the Firebird Open Mic at Third Space, which is at 1028 Grand Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic is between 5 and 7 p.m. On Tuesday, June 4th, from 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 7 to 9 p.m., I will be performing with the Phoenix Poetry Orchestra at Film Bar Phoenix. Which is at A15 North Second Street in Phoenix. You can get tickets at thefilmbarphx.com. The ticket link is also in this week's Poets and Muses newsletter. From 8 to 11 p.m., Ken Kong will be hosting his weekly The Underground Experience at 2601 on Central, which is at 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7:30 p.m. on Wednesday, June 5th, from 7:30 to 9 p.m. Lacuna Cavabar will be hosting its open mic night on site at 831 North Third Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. on Thursday, June 6th, from 7 to 8:30 p.m. Sozo Coffee House will be hosting its open poetry night. At 1982 North Elma School Road in Chandler, from 7 to 9 p.m., Longnome Publishing will be hosting its weekly Phoenix Poetry Slam at the Lost Leaf, which is at 914 North Fifth Street in Phoenix. 
make sure to get there by 6.50 to get on the mic. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quentin Oni will be hosting his weekly open mic at Jobot Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30. On Friday, June 7, from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m., Rosemary Dombrowski will be hosting her first Friday poetry on Roosevelt Row on the back porch of local First Arizona, which is at 407 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. From 7 to 9 p.m., Changing Hands Bookstore will be hosting its first Friday poetry open mic featuring Benjamin Alshire and Sky Jackson at 6428 South McClintock Drive in Tempe. On Saturday, June 8th, from 6.30 to 10 p.m., Sozo Coffee House will be hosting an open mic night at their site at 1982 North Alma School Road in Chandler. From 7 to 9 p.m., Tamika Sanders, or Dr. T, will be hosting her open mic night featuring Truth Be Told at Aroma Mocha Coffee, which is at 506 East Western Avenue, number 103 in Avondale. On Sunday, June 9th, from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its monthly poetry workshop at the Chandler Public Library at 22 South Delaware Street in Chandler. After that, Connect and Heal will be hosting its monthly open mic from 3 to 5 p.m. at Improv Mania at 250 South Arizona Avenue in Chandler. From 6 to 9 p.m., Infused Open Mic will be taking place at the Phoenix Center for the Arts at 1202 North 3rd Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 5.30. And now let us turn to our Poet Guest of the Week, Dallas Summers. Hi, Dallas. Thank you for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hello, no problem. I'm uh, glad to be interviewed today. I'm looking forward to it, actually, so pretty excited. You brought your poem, Mother. Before we turn to that, however, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I just turned 25, April Fool's Day. This year has been pretty exciting for me. I have been writing pretty much all my life, but I kept it to myself. Mm-hmm. And I uh, made it a New Year's resolution this year to, you know what? I realize I've been writing to tell a story and I'm not telling anybody. Mm-hmm. So... Boom, I started doing my first uh, open mic poetry readings mm-hmm. and was very shocked and surprised at the support I gained from friends and family and complete strangers. Mm-hmm. So it's really um, inspired me to continue growing and harnessing and making my writing a priority in my life, which it's always kind of been on the back burner. Mm-hmm. But I've only been in Arizona for about six years. I'm originally from a little tiny farm town two hours away from Chicago and the change of dynamics is amazing if I never moved out here I have a feeling I definitely would still be writing just for myself so yeah I'm I'm glad I made the move out here I wonder if it's the weather that makes people want to kind of burst out (laughs) maybe because I was always so used to the cold Uh, that's one thing I noticed too yeah I've never gotten sick here so I would get sick every single winter the winter cold in Mm -hmm. Chicago it's so cold yeah I love it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I love the winters. And I still get colds, unfortunately, but I'm hoping this weather will wing me off of them. Speaking of boom, you just revealed something about yourself. Yeah, was, 
So the, my uh, grandmother has always kept a very intricate family tree and history of our bloodline. And it turns out that my ninth grade grandfather is Daniel Boone, which is pretty cool. I remember when I was a little kid and we always had to pick like an American pioneer or something for mm -hmm. class mm -hmm. to do a little research on and present the presentation. That's what my grandmother told me about that. And I was like, okay. what? So I felt even more connected. It was really cool as a little kid and having that to like look up to and stuff when I'm learning about history. It was, it was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, since you've done a presentation about your ninth <laughs> generation grandfather, can you tell us a little bit about Daniel? It's been years since I did that presentation, but the one thing, <laughs> the greatest thing, which I always tell everybody, is that supposedly killed a bear with his bare hands. So, <laughs> you know, that blood runs through me. You know, you'll be protected. I'm by your side. I'm a private investigator. It's a good good bloodline to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Although I, I doubt you actually had to wrestle bears. No, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us about your, your PA. How did you get into that? Yeah, so I had a... Um, a great opportunity. My brother kind of opened up the door for me and stepped my foot into this field of private investigating. I don't have a degree in criminal justice or law, so they kind of took their chances with me based off my brother's reputation. Mm. And it's been a whole new passion for me. I succeed at it, so I've been doing really well in the industry. Mm -hmm. And it's just pretty shocking when you realize how uh, oblivious people tend to be in their day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. when. You kind of watch TV and movies and you see like, oh, it's so obvious that, that person's being followed. Like, mm -hmm. I would tell right away. Mm -hmm. And I would think that too, but it's surprising how many people don't. Right. Um, so Probably. basically, yeah, I, I do eight-hour stakeouts and follow people. To me, my job is really rewarding because mm -hmm. I feel every case, I'm either proving somebody's taking advantage of the system mm -hmm. or I'm proving and gathering evidence supporting them saying like yeah like they're injured or they need the help that they're getting right. and so either way i feel like awesome like i'm helping out so right. a little bit so that's cool it's a real rewarding uh job yeah yeah well do you think the age of social media has helped your work because people are just attached yes to that is the number one easy way for me to uh do good on my case mm. a lot of people will tag themselves on social media mm. uh, Maybe weekly, there's a place I go to every week. Check in. I'm working out this morning. Lunch with friends. Everything like that that's posted, fortunately, makes it easy for me to do my job. Mm -hmm. I'm not complaining because I'm doing it for work and stuff. But it is kind of scary if you look at it, though. Yeah. I, if I came about that profile or whatever, that's just crazy how open people are with their personal lives and yeah. how easy it is for people to gather that information yeah yeah people don't think of it right and social media kind of offer this thing where it seems like a kind of a cool way of participating but then it really adds up everybody has a pattern oh yeah that definitely shows. one of the most common mistakes are families going on facebook and saying that we're going on vacation for a week in rome or something yeah. <laughs> so now everybody on your friends list friend or enemy can well, they're not going to be at their house for a week. Right, right. Exactly. It's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. I remember hearing about that. I forget where which news report I read. Is that people kind of stake out Facebook or social media or not? 
and then they kind of use that to kind of target. So I remember you told me your your event. Um, so do you do you think since you have to do AR stakeouts, do you think when you're a soldier, your training or your deployment, I don't know what it was, helped? Actually, it helped get my foot in the door. My dream was always being in the military. I have a military family, okay. the Marine Corps. Air Force, Army, pretty much every branch is covered in oh, wow. my family and all my cousins. Okay. So as a kid, and I'm the youngest of two brothers, my hand-me-down toys were G.I. Joes and everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, as a kid, like, I'm, you know, I'm going to uh, be a soldier. And when I was a senior, and it was getting to that point where am I going to go to college? I could enlist right now. Mm-hmm. My father talked me into saying, like, I back your choice 100%, mm-hmm. but I really suggest you going to school and then going in so that way you could go the route of being an officer. Right. So I started off that route, went to school for a couple of years, and then I was just like, this isn't for me. Like, I feel like I'm already behind. If I went into the military, so I'm like, I need to go in now. Okay. And when I did that, I was actually medically discharged during my boot camp because I am deaf. Oh. which I'm not. Right. And the headphones I took for my hearing test did not work. Oh. And so I stayed in for boot camp for an additional two months of just appealing my case, of mm-hmm. trying to retake, and I could not do a retake of my hearing test. So I was given the option of basically waiting one or two years, I can't remember, mm-hmm. and then coming back, mm-hmm. and I could start it all over again. Mm-hmm. However, from talking to everybody that has been in the force or are still mm-hmm. in, they said that it, it will always stay on my record that I was technically medically discharged for hearing. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to promotions, unfortunately, that's kind of a red flag and could halt me from right, right. getting where I want to be. I was devastated. It was a dream I always had. Mm-hmm. I would have been fine if I got kicked out for doing something stupid mm-hmm. or if I quit. Mm-hmm. But to me, this was just an outside force saying, like, you're not meant to do this. Right, and right. I was, like, devastated. Yeah. Those are the hardest to fight, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I got depressed when I came back home. I gained, I think, 80 pounds. Wow. Yeah, I lost it all, thankfully. <laughs> but Yeah, hard to tell. <laughs> You're so fit. It, it was a tough time, and when I got over it, I told myself, you know what? The best thing I think I could do mm-hmm. is to say, screw it, and I'll do what I was kind of going to do in the military as a civilian. Mm-hmm. And my contract when I enlisted was... Uh, I would be a human intelligence collector, be mm-hmm. going to school for okay. that. So I'd be doing interrogations, investigations, stuff right, like that. Right. So as a civilian doing this line of work in private investigations, mm-hmm. I love it. I have that same passion. Right. And it's kind of like a F you, like I'm doing what you told me I couldn't do. Right, right, so right. I'm still doing it and succeeding cool. at it. Good. Yeah, I mean, you don't really need to do that in the military, right? That was another thing. As a kid... I kind of always felt like that's the only way mm. was to help out society or whatever was I had to be in this military. Mm. And then it was shocking when I oh, my eyes opened up and I realized there's so many ways to contribute to society. Right, right, right. It was just that for the most part on news, media, or whatever, the ones getting credit are military. Yeah. So it opened my eyes and I realized, wow, like there's so many things that I could do to contribute in the ways that I always wanted to mm. without being in the military. Right, right. There's still a lot of lip service, I feel like, paid to the military and to the vets. 
But when it comes to real service, I'm not sure that is as true, especially given the backlog that's at the VA. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've been following up since you have a military family. All the recent both vet and current military personnel suicides that's going on. It's really a, a scourge. It's very unfortunate. I have a really good friend of mine that has been countless issues with the VA and stuff, trying mm-hmm. to get help with PTSD, right. uh, and it's not acknowledged as PTSD definitely is, and he has to get his help from elsewhere and stuff, and it's just crazy that as a veteran, as him that it was actually deployed overseas multiple times, right. and he's still young for him to have and go through this trouble. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So you're the third current generation military personnel oh, or vet okay. I've interviewed. The other one is Jay Tatum. That's the most recent one. And the one before that was Tristan Marshall. I remember talking with Tristan about how there is a program out there. An actor started it. One of the actors on The Wire, I believe. I might be wrong about that. But to help vets deal with PTSD and depression and whatnot through poetry writing. I'm a member of... Uh the American Legion, mm-hmm. the Sons of American Legion, and it kind of has that bad name among veterans that it's kind of the place where the older veterans go to. Mm-hmm. It's just a bar. It's just, and mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the reputation it has right. among veterans. It's amazing, especially in Chandler, the post that I'm part of. We do so many things in society, especially we try keeping it to Chandler area and mm-hmm. stuff. It's awesome, and I've been trying to actually come up with a monthly poetry reading at the Legion to try to get younger veterans to come in. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be a great way to definitely help with that because Mm -hmm. they'll be able to tell their story or another story that they connect with. Mm -hmm. And I just think that veterans of all ages, of all backgrounds, if they were to hear that, it would kind of bring in uh, a better link between older veterans, younger veterans, and everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when you do start that, please let me know because I announce poetry okay. events throughout the valley. So I definitely will. To. Cool, thank you. And speaking of poetry, let's circle back to how you started in poetry. You said you wrote since you were young, but did you write poetry in the beginning or did you transition to poetry? So growing up in the outskirts of Chicago and being the younger brother, my brothers are 10 and 13 years older than me. Okay. So I grew up around a lot of hip-hop and uh, Chicago has a bunch of famous artists come from there and as a kid one of my favorites was Common and what Mm -hmm. made me like him so much uh, still today is his writing his flow and his messages Mm -hmm. you could always argue that all music is poetry but Mm -hmm. his specifically sounded like the poems that you learn about as a kid and you know like this is a poem that kind of rhymes like his seemed like poetry to me and I was hooked and Mm -hmm. so I think I started when I first was writing it was like songs and stuff Mm -hmm. and then I harnessed it more into like poems Mm -hmm. and I moved around a lot being in the military family Mm -hmm. so the one thing that was always secure to me were my books Mm -hmm. so I was a bookworm and writing I'd make new friends wherever I went but the one thing that was always with me wherever I went were my books and my journals Mm -hmm. so that's why I always Write. Do you remember how old you were when you started writing generally in poetry? Not my age. I know around fourth grade is Mm -hmm. when I was really doing it. I'm not sure if I was doing it before, Mm -hmm. but I know like uh, in my school, fourth grade, they kind of made a competition of reading and Mm -hmm. and creative writing. 
And so for once I was actually competitive and I was like, <laughs> oh, I got to write the most and I have to read the most. That probably helped spark my inspiration to continue writing through life. But Cool. So about nine or ten years old. Probably, yeah. Wow, wow. That's when you got serious. So who knows when you actually started. Oh, yeah. I have so many journals uh, at my house that are all from years of just all little. I like to go back through them and I'll see like, oh, I remember when I wrote this. I was like, must have been in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And I'll take little snippets of it and try to flesh it out and make something more of it today. And it's pretty fun and cool to do that, to see like a little idea I made when I was ten and it still holds true today or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that is really cool. And have you thought about maybe doing a collection of poems and publishing that or sending it yes. out? Yes, that was part of my New Year's resolution of taking my writing serious is I wanted to self-publish a book of my collections this oh, year. Nice. So it's great to be involved in the open mic poetry mm-hmm. because to me it's more of a way to push myself. I like to read and perform new poetry every time. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I know I have this reading coming up. I need at least three new poems. Mm-hmm. And I do that. Sometimes I'll have a topic in mind that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just free writing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is where this is going. Let me branch off and focus it, right. focus in on it. Sometimes it's just a picture or something I see or a movie I watch that will inspire something. Actually, with... Uh, this poem I'll be reading today, Mother, mm-hmm. I was on a case for work, and okay. I was working the case out in the Grand Canyon, oh, and cool. um, I had some free time after the case, and right. that was my first time at the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. and I was just amazed at the beauty of the world and earth, and I was like, wow, like this is such an incredible sight. It was definitely, yeah, the inspiration for me to write this poem. Okay, cool. Well, since you started talking about it, why don't you read that to us? Okay. All right, so this poem is Mother. I feel I must apologize on behalf of mankind, for it wasn't just my brethren, it was also I, that drove the stake into the ground, corrupting what was once divine, and with our hands we slaughtered billions. Disregarding your natural beauty, mother, we carved our names on mountains, exhausted entire quarries to build statues and skyscrapers. We claimed land that was meant for us to share and denied our own siblings a future by staining your skin with their blood. Mother, I am so sorry for the continuous vandalization of your home, our home, that you so selflessly provide for us each day, still with open arms. We don't deserve you, Mother. We have been feasting upon the apples of Eden three times a day since conception, simply because it's a rule we can break. But what you lack in discipline you make up for with love, and I just don't understand it. You are dying, mother, and we are killing you. I am killing you, and yet you still seem so proud. So please forgive me, mother, for sometimes taking you for granted and for waiting this long to thank you for raising us all together underneath one roof, yours. Thank you. Thanks. Wow. When you read it, when you hear it, you do feel that, like, appreciation, like what you described when you were at the Grand Canyon. I only passed through. We went to the, what's the name? Something, something, Bend. Uh, Horseshoe Bend. Bend. Yes. So we passed by it. We took some pictures of Grand Canyon far away. But it's still very majestic and 
awe-inspiring. So I can only imagine, what was it like? Did you write this while you were there, or did you write it after? Most of it. Like, the, the initial draft I wrote while I was there looking at the canyon. Mm, yeah. And then um, upon coming back home, I fine-toned it and stuff. It was just amazing. There was a little trail, and you could walk right up it, and it puts you at the pinnacle, and you're just looking down, and you see... I don't know, like age, it's timeless. And mm-hmm. it made me realize, mm-hmm. I think it was um, an anniversary of the Grand Canyon recently oh, or okay. of something. And it became a, another hot spot, a reason for tourists to come. Right. So when I was there on this case, there were a lot of foreigners and I loved it. I, I hear conversations and they're not in English. And right. I just liked, and it kind of made me realize, like, well, yeah, this world's a lot bigger. We're all like siblings. We're all humans, mm-hmm. and we're all kind of treating this world like shit today. This is so beautiful. This is like it was kind of eye-opening to me, and it was mm-hmm. something that I I think I I might have been blind to. Like I didn't really realize it was how we we're treating Earth mm-hmm. until I just saw it. And it was like wow, it's just beautiful. It's one of those things that you almost have to see. When it does, it it's just boom. It's an instant change in you. Right, it just hits you. Yeah. Right? It's just- also, it kind of dwarfs you. Yeah, you, you seem so small. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all these little ants <laughs> with their binoculars. <laughs> and, and I like, it's also a little scary, too, because mm. uh, I'm not scared of heights, but I'm scared mm-hmm. of falling. So I love right. to climb. I used to be a flight attendant. Like, I love flying. Okay. I love being high up in the air, but it's when I look down, like, okay, I might fall. That's when I get scared. <laughs> yeah. And so looking at this behemoth of a beauty and... I look down and it's like, whoa, like, it's kind of ironic that this, it's earth and it's so beautiful and and yeah, like, essentially it's death as well. Mm. And uh, that's what just brought those little pieces together in my mind and made me write this poem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can hear, you can hear her presence or the presence of the Grand Canyon. Whatever you're seeing, you can hear the emotions behind the words, the awe. It's its really amazing. Have you written other nature poetry before, or is this like one of the few ones you have? I have, but it's not really like this one. I've written one poem called Okami, which is wolf in Japanese, mm-hmm. and it's similar. I, I touch on it of how we're kind of treating Earth, but it's more so how humans aren't the best of people on Earth, <laughs> not the best inhabitants. So this one is definitely more positive. And even though it touches, it makes you realize kind of like, yeah, we're making our mark and it's not a good mark. Yeah. It, it still brings it back. Like you can still take a step back, appreciate it and, and change. Yeah. And I remember one of your other poems that, that I almost asked you to read for the podcast was the one about the little girl and the butterfly the eggs. Yeah, oh, yeah, I guess that one's more about nature as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting because it was about a little girl discovering death and also her power over life in some ways. And it's still being completely innocent. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Being like a baby version of Godzilla. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember that poem very well. Yeah, I, I heard you read that twice. For that uh, 
district court. Um, yeah, and also for evidence. Mm-hmm. So you say you feel this particular one, mother, is more positive than your previous one about the wolf. Yes. Okay. Where do you feel like you're being more positive? In in mother. Mm-hmm. It's mainly towards the end when I feel like somebody to realize that they're in the wrong or they've done actions which at the time they believe is the, the right choice or whatever mm-hmm. and then they realize afterwards like to, to realize that you were in the wrong or you, you feel guilt or remorse for something you've done and apologize for that sometimes a lot of people will say like oh you said sorry to sorry you didn't mean it like, right you know? so this is kind of saying like you're taking a step back. You're not really apologizing, but you're saying thank you. Like you're being grateful. You're realizing what you were given. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that could be more powerful than saying, I'm sorry for the things I've done. It's saying like, wow, like you're kind of saying you're sorry in a mm-hmm, sense, mm-hmm. but you're just welcoming and realizing and you're showing them that your eyes are open now. Right. You're kind of saying like, yeah, I, I realized the things I did were bad. Like my eyes are open. That's not happening again. Right. right. And I, I'm a changed person. Yeah. So I think in this sense, that's where this poem is more positive, and probably the only positivity in it. <laughs> <laughs> I find this one and the one with the butterfly, the little and the was it butterfly eggs or the caterpillar egg? What? Yeah. So I, I performed uh, two pieces, and they were both about butterflies but yeah. the one was pardon genocide of the monarchs yeah and that was yeah. the little girl yeah and then the other one was imago which is the the adult form of a mm. butterfly yeah yeah i remember both that one and this one they're very reflective it seems like you thought about it even though you wrote it right away still there's a lot of self-reflection in it and it's what's nice about it in this genre of environmental poetry is that you sort of apologize not just on behalf of all of us, but also you look at your own contribution to her destruction. Yeah, and that's that's why I, me personally, when I was writing that, I thought that felt more powerful and saying like on behalf of mankind because some people don't change, and you're kind of mm-hmm. realizing that yourself, and you're like, we're all related, we're all humanity, and. Mm-hmm. I, I can't just apologize for myself because like my eyes are open and I'm realizing it's everybody. Like we're all treating you like crap right now, mm-hmm. and wow, like you know, <laughs> I can't believe like I've been blind to it, mm-hmm. and kind of like that. How recent was this? Like one or two months ago. Okay. Wow. Well, since then, have you thought about what you might do in terms of actively helping the environment? On your own or with an organization? So actually, I also have a pet tortoise. Okay. And so upon doing that, I kind of, a few of my friends are vegan and vegetarian. Mm -hmm. So I've been learning just more about, I've I've been kind of oblivious as well to how our waste is destroying the ocean. Mm -hmm. So there's a really cool, I can't think of the name of it right now. There's a really cool organization I found on Instagram. They create like um, metal straws and stuff for you to use. So mm-hmm. I bought some of that for my family because I realized yeah, we were going through plastic straws and stuff at our own house okay. like crazy okay. just because they're, they're cheap. And right, well, this yeah. one, you buy one, you wash it, it's good to go. Yeah, yeah. And it's little things like that. And they all add up just like, yeah, and, and it's crazy to think that one little tiny change, if everybody did it, makes a huge impact in the big picture. 
Yeah, yeah. I remember when, especially when California, I think, was instituted that uh, no straws or no plastic straw policy. One of the caveats for some of my friends who have physical disabilities is that they can't use metal straws. So that, oh, yeah. that was one of the drawbacks. But still, I think for many of us who can use metal straws or who can just use no straws, it's one of the things that we can do. Yeah, so that was actually, it was ironic. That's what kind of made me look into the straws is mm-hmm. this case at the Grand Canyon it was worked over two weekends. Mm-hmm. So I went there the first weekend, and there's like a cafe or whatever mm-hmm. at the Grand Canyon. I went there, grabbed a coffee and stuff, and they had all their straws out there. Mm-hmm. And then just the week later, I went back, all the straws are gone. And I, <laughs> I asked one of the workers, do you have any straws? Like, mm-hmm. we're, I think you're all out. Right. And they were like, oh, no. We got rid of all those because they're just getting wasted. And they're hurting yeah. the environment, especially yeah. here. Yeah. So we have these... And they were like a biodegradable, really thick, almost like a cardboard straw. Mm-hmm, yeah. And they had those. They only hand even those out if you ask for one. Right. So right. I was like, that was the first thing that popped in my mind that made me. I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, why? Like, I had no idea about the straw stuff. Yeah. So then when I looked into that and I saw the the Instagram thing that kind of tied it in with the animals as well. Right. I was like, wow. Yeah. yeah that was a change I made. Yeah, yeah, those plastic holders or six packs, uh, definitely, especially since you're talking about tortoises, but with sea turtles, yeah. you've seen those videos. Yeah. You look at their shells, they're hard, you never think of them as actually, when they develop, if they are caught in one of those six pack rings that actually stunts their development, and then they develop this figure eight kind of shell, yeah. which is really something that you can't believe what happens because when you think of turtles or t- tortoises, you think of them as this indestructible. Yeah. Yes, their houses, their shells. The other thing about the environment also is you must have noticed since you were staking out there how much garbage there oh, is yeah. over, even though these tourists love to go see it and they mm-hmm. take their pictures, but they still, the garbage is kind of yeah. everywhere. And um, I mean, there weren't any signs for it, so mm-hmm. I'm sure. But there was just a lot of smoking there, which mm. I thought it was just ironic to mm-hmm. see uh, people smoking cigarettes and stuff next to this gorgeous, naturally beautiful landmark yeah. of, that is the Grand Canyon. Yeah, it was just a, a weird picture. It was, yeah. it kind of took me aback. Hmm. A lot of imagery and ideas that you think about of just smoking the how toxic that is and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we're here at the Grand Canyon and it was just yeah yeah the juxtaposition of the two exactly, things together yeah. it's like but then unfortunately for the most part the uh, cigarette butts end up on the ground as well oh yeah cigarette butts are <laughs> mm-hmm. one of the most ubiquitous things yeah. you could you like go outside walk a block and yeah. you can pick up like enough to probably build a little model diorama mm-hmm. with it. Uh, it's it's really crazy. I've done some volunteer cleanup before, and cigarette butts is one of those unending things. You can just be bending over all day picking those up. I hope they will, the parks department, I don't know, they're not getting as much funding as they should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully they will put up more signs. But yeah, it's really sad. But I find your poem to be refreshing in that as I said before, you don't just preach to other people about what's wrong, but you also include yourself. I wrote a more preachy poem, which <laughs> I'm going to read, but it's also on the environment. It's called Betting Against the House. 
And it has a reference to a very popular TV show. I'm going to let everybody guess. It's pretty obvious. And one of the reasons was because it was recently, uh, the new season just launched recently. Though I'm not watching it, so don't tell me about it. Don't spoil it for me. And the other thing is because I remember reading fan fiction saying that somehow the writer of the book based on which the TV show was inspired is actually about climate change. Mm. So I'm going to read this now. Betting against the house. What do you want me to talk about? Those who have been silenced? Springs that no longer babble, but brood stagnant with the weight of heavy metals. Or fire water burning the mouth of faucets. Set alight by negligent hands that turn black coal to gold with alchemy practical but short-sighted who thought digging under our foundation for treasure would prep six-foot multiples by measure. Steady, we go deeper, no ladder brought. We thought we ride back up top on Midas's dash. But now we're stuck, hoping to still remember words to grovel, skills to cut grooves for toll holes, gaining incremental ascendance before her ancient grief melts to inundate us with its tears, no longer held back in balance. Cry she must for those children now lost, to one sibling's greed, to overtake all their inheritance, pooled to build stairs to the throne of an imaginary game played in the head, while the body succumbs to the gravity of time, thrown away by mortal hands, still gambling against eternity's stakes. Yeah, I really like this poem. Thank you. And uh, I noticed instantly upon reading it that uh, the similarities of, of mine, mm-hmm. and I like how they're, even though they're similar, yeah, the, the different tone about them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like where mine's more kind of like you realizing you're doing wrong, Mm-hmm. I like how yours is kind of like, almost like a firm slap on your wrist. And you're like, mm-hmm. look, like, look at what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, I think for for me, teaching some lessons like that stick with me a lot longer. Mm-hmm. That's what they say about everything, I think. It's like, you can have a hundred happy memories or moments, but the ones that will stay with you longer are the ones where something bad happened. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, well, humans as well as other animals we tend to respond much more, about three times as strongly to negative stimuli than positive ones. So we see loss as three times as bad as gaining something. So, yeah. What I uh, really liked about your poem as well was the flow of it. I don't know many of the terms of when it comes to the rhyming and rhyming schemes. Okay, I don't think either. <laughs> I loved the way yours flowed and there was like uh, I don't know if they're called internal rhymes but it was, it was just the way the similarities of the pronunciations and mm-hmm. uh, I really liked it that's something when I when I write my own stuff mm-hmm. I think maybe too much about right. the the wordplay and I might swap around a couple words just because mm-hmm. this one enhances this other word right, right. Like yeah that. yeah but I totally loved the should I, can I say? The, yes, the, yes, okay. go ahead. Yeah, I totally love the Game of Thrones. <laughs> what, what I like is I didn't realize until hearing you say it, 
but it kind of does reference it up here too. With oh, the heavy it? metals. Heavy metals, I would think of like ice cold, you know? Oh, and then okay. with the fire, and the river is the song of ice and fire. <laughs> yes, so yes, that's true. That is one of the <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. Mm, yeah. Even when the Game of Thrones and more obvious one came up, I didn't even do that on purpose. It kind of just flowed off the tongue, so I just put it in. I was like, oh, no, really? <laughs> and then I was like, nah, I'll leave it. <laughs> but no, I like it. The inclusion of it because it is especially when you say the imaginary like this is a, a great work of fiction that has a huge fan base across the world mm-hmm. everybody's tuned into it and yeah. everything and I didn't know that about George Martin either is that mm. he was an environmentalist well I'm not sure that he is but I remember reading a very long article and I don't remember from where um, I think it was when last season ended yeah, because I was digging into some of the episodes, and one of the articles was talking about how the Game of Thrones books is about, or one interpretation of it is about environmental change, because, you know... Well, it makes um, sense. Winter's coming. Yeah, like. yeah, I kept saying that. <laughs> and also, there definitely is that sense the imaginary throne is also... It is what Game of Thrones is about, right? This throne, this iron throne, which is really kind of meaningless except exactly. for all the metaphorical mm-hmm. power it holds. So what I like is that you bring up the Game of Thrones almost, and it's, if you look at it today, yeah, it's this huge work of fiction, imaginary, that has the whole population tuned in every single week to watch it, talk about it, discuss it, mm-hmm. but... They're not discussing this. Yeah. They're not discussing yeah. what we're doing to the world. Like, yeah. I really love the imagery where he said, no ladder was brought. We mm-hmm. thought we'd ride back up. That to me was just, yeah, you're not really planning anything. You're just thinking, keep digging. I'm getting rich. My own future. It's like, essentially like greed. You're just thinking of yourself and there is no backup plan. It's just, boom, I'm going in on this. I'm going all in. Yeah. And yeah. That really stuck with me with your poem. Thank you, yeah. What was the inspiration behind the thought process? Every last Tuesday of the month, there is at First Church, which is on 2nd Street, it's Art of Justice, which is an open mic event that's specifically for social justice issues. And April was supposed to be about environmental justice. Okay. And so I have one other poem that's actually two, but one that I tend to read a lot that has to do with climate change and refugees and climate refugees. And I read that a lot. And similar to you, I don't really like to read the same thing over and over Mm -hmm. again. So I specifically wanted to write something for this theme. And I was on the light rail. The first line kind of came to me. I was kind of thinking to myself, what do you want me to talk about? And then it just all spilled out. What made you come up with the betting against the house, the whole kind of gambling aspect in it? I really like that. Thank you. It's actually because of the ending of the poem Mm -hmm. that inspired me to use that title. Most of the time, my title comes after I write the poem. Very seldom do I actually have a title before I write the poem. Also, throughout the poem, there is some imagery of different environmental issues and also books I've read. Like the first line, The Springs That No Longer Babble, is based on this book called Silent Springs which is all about the pollution, uh, waters. It's been a long time since I read it. I didn't read the whole thing, so I need to actually go get it from the library and read it again. 
but it's a seminal work on environmental protection. So it's based on that, that the first line came. And then there's also the fire water burning. I'm kind of playing on word with fire water, the Native Americans reference to alcohol, but uh, really to mining and fracking specifically because of all the water that's poured back into the soil that's causing drinking water to be so laced with chemicals that you've probably seen videos of people oh, setting yeah. their fossil water on fire. I love how there's a commercial about it. There's a, I forget what it is, I think a filtration system or something. And they're they're asking if a guy wants to take a sample of the water. He's like, would you like to have a sample of this water with like 80% lead in it or whatever? He's like, well, why would I want to drink lead? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I I think I saw that commercial before. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, at least the quote-unquote good thing about lead is that you can't set it on fire. (laughs) With these particular wastewater from fracking that's been poured back into the ground, is that it's polluting the water so much with flammable chemicals that if you put a light yeah. next to the faucet, it will set your house on fire. And That's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. And another thing that actually I didn't incorporate into this is the instance of earthquakes that injecting all this wastewater back into the ground is causing as well. It's insane. All these things that we're doing in order to mine and this is our house, basically, yeah. and we're mining underneath our house. It's something that I kind of want to ask everybody. If you have a house, if you ever live in a house, do you think it's a good idea to be digging for treasures mm-hmm. underneath the foundation of yeah. your house? Yeah, that's, that's good imagery right there, too. Because once <laughs> you decide you. to do it, you keep going. Yeah, exactly. Sinkholes. Yeah. I think my favorite line is, yeah, the fire water burning the mouth of faucets. For me, it paints a really vivid picture in my mind yeah i really like the imagery that's in this poem i also like how you're able to talk about mother nature and you you talk about her as as her and it's just her Mm -hmm. and so i like that vagueness but it's weird how with mother nature you could be so vague and still yeah like yeah yeah just talking about earth this is mother nature you know I think some of my poems, I kind of want to be a little bit, little mystery vignette. It's like, guess what it is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With mine, I uh, titled it Mothered to kind of, when you go in, you think maybe initially, like, I'm just going to, it's a poem about mm-hmm. my actual mother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, it could be, but mm-hmm. it, it isn't. It, right, it's something right. Else. Well, she is, isn't she? Because without her, we exactly. wouldn't be here. This is our home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And unfortunately, we're not treating home that well. No, no. <laughs> you said you specifically wanted to write this poem for the justice. What was it called? It's called Art of Justice, Art of justice. but okay. it's the theme of the month, which is environmental justice. So just curious, how long does it take for you to, because I know sometimes, I'm sure it is with you, you just write because an idea comes or whatever. But yeah. when you tell yourself to like, okay, I'm going to write a, like a specific poem for something, does it go about a different creative process? Well, I actually just found out last year that I can write to prompt. Okay. Which I was pleasantly surprised with. Yeah. Like, awesome! Yay! (laughs) See, it's kind of hit or miss with me Mm. because for the most part, it does help and and spark uh, new ideas and stuff. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'll just get totally stopped Mm -hmm, at a prompt mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. I'm just stuck there thinking, I'm like, wait, this shouldn't be happening. I could just look at a different prompt and keep it going. Yeah, yeah. But it... 
yeah, sometimes it will, it will stump me. Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried since you're, you're, where are you in Tempe or Mesa? Or? Chandler. Chandler, you're mm-hmm. in Chandler. So at the Chandler Community Center, you know, every Tuesday they have... I just found out yeah, about that on that sort of Facebook. I had no idea. I do Sozo Coffee. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's that. That's the open mic, though. Mm-hmm. But every Tuesday night, there's, at the Chandler Community Center, is the writing workshop. And the group is wonderful with Connect and Heal. And apparently they discuss the poetry afterwards. There's another one that's in Tempe, but that's once a month. So you should definitely try that if you want to like try writing to prompt. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, it's really cool. This is why I announce all the events in the Valley Metro area. So every week you can find out what's going on. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you never know enough. And there's always so many ways and yeah. outlets for you to continue growing yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I really want to check that out. Yeah, you should, you should. It's great. And, you know, the the thing with the prompts is that they don't always come regularly, mm-hmm. as you said. Some prompts are easily somehow... It's, it's weird. Like, it'll just trigger yeah. something. Like, yeah, oh, exactly. Boom, you just yeah. start writing. Yeah, and others, it's, it's really like, fast. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> But exactly. I never thought about doing it with other people. I think that would help with the ones that do stump you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you could discuss it. I don't know how much they discuss it because I've never been able to go to that. Okay. They also have one every second Sunday of the month at the Chandler Downtown Library. Okay. But that, again, is once a month. Yeah, unfortunately, with, with my work, too, it's hard for me to plan out mm-hmm. uh, specific days that I can go do stuff. Being yeah. on call, it, it sucks for that. But yeah. besides that, I, I love the random phone call, all right? You gotta go travel. You yeah. won't be home for two days. I'm yeah. Like, cool. How how far have you gone because of that? I've driven. It goes eighteen hours to uh-huh. Port Arthur, Texas, which is uh-huh. two hours east of Dallas. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, the case I was working, we didn't have the right information. Oh. So basically, once I got there, it's like, okay, cool. You can go ahead and turn around. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, like, no. oh man. So. That was the longest. Typically, I, I drive out to San Diego a lot. Okay. So for me, a five-hour drive is nothing. And okay. that is when my ideas actually hit me. So I look forward yeah. to driving. I don't know what it is. A lot of people get stressed out about traffic and stuff. Mm-hmm. Me, I will have an audio book on or just some music. And yeah. that's when my ideas are flowing when I'm behind mm-hmm. the wheel. So I always do little audio clips of ideas. Oh, that nice. I really write them down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking you, you need like an auto drive. Yeah. Like, you know, self-driving car, basically. Oh, that'd be really nice. Yeah, yeah. A Tesla. You could be writing your novel while it's an autopilot. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be writing your the greatest detective right. story <laughs> while your Tesla's driving you. Right, yeah, yeah. Definitely a future to shoot for. Yeah. That sounds like a, a idea for a short story. Right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, it's it just depends because I had known about this prompt since last month, and I only wrote this pretty recently, probably within the last three weeks. I forget. Before that, I was thinking, oh, I want to write something new, but I didn't really seriously think about what would I write. So mm-hmm. I was starting to get a little bit antsy about what I would write, and then it just came. But because I realized I could write to prompt, it was kind of cool because. Because of this podcast, I feel like most of my life has been either preparing or interviewing or doing post-production work on the podcast. 
so that I really don't have as much time to write anymore. So I'm really grateful to either go to events that inspire me to write, go to events that specifically have prompts to write to. So whenever it happens, I'm like, oh yeah. I'm yeah. And yeah, I totally agree. That's what I love about the open mics. And it's like, I get inspired by the other performers oh, and yeah. then I'm like, whoa. And then when the next one comes, I'm like, oh, I have to have new poems to, yeah, to yeah. present. So it, it helps push me. Yeah. And I, I very enjoy that. Yeah, it's true. And I, I don't really see you read the same uh, poems that much. So it's cool. I'd like to go to more, especially different ones, and venture out more. Palabras is the furthest one I do so far from home because I live in Chandler. Uh, yeah. But I know there's there's more out here in Phoenix as well. Yeah, um, there's a bunch of them. There's like um, there's a slam I've been meaning to go to. Oh, Thursdays. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I just haven't had the time to make it out yet. Yeah, yeah. A slam poetry is it can be discouraging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's very weird the first time you receive score, especially if they're not the scores that oh, you thought you would receive, yeah. and you're like. Really? It's, a, it's a different experience it's a totally different animal and the poetry you will discover that people respond to will be totally different than poetry that you think of as something you would sit down and read mm-hmm. not that they're not readable but it's just a exactly. different animal yeah I realized that as well because I am planning to write a collection of poetry mm-hmm. there's quite a few poems I've written that I wouldn't want to perform because it's something that I think especially with like the wordplay that's in it mm-hmm. it's something that you have to read and see visually right, uh, right. that just wouldn't translate well to mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of reading yeah so yeah I could see that being with spoken word but yeah. the difference of it yeah but otherwise every Monday Tuesday as well as Thursday there are free open mic events in Phoenix uh-huh. yeah every week and they're really cool and you should definitely check it out I mean that's why I always encourage people to at least if nothing else listen to the top of the show because then you know what's coming up for the next week and especially for you because you have such a yeah. varied schedule it makes more sense because you can just say oh okay this is going on this week yeah definitely so yeah I'd love to see you read more at these different events so the first open mic I ever did was in December at a Sozo coffee shop. Mm. And I was so nervous. That's the first time I ever shared any of my poetry. And uh, just doing it from December until now, I'm like surprised at seeing my, my own growth and seeing like how confident I've become mm-hmm. on stage, and the center of attention. I'm a very introverted person, mm-hmm. or used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been put out of my box with the jobs I've had and stuff. So, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, so it's really cool to see your own progress yeah. while you're doing it and, yeah. and becoming more comfortable with yourself and performing. I would love to, in December, after one full year of doing it, I have the, the first poems that I uh, presented. Mm-hmm. I'd love to redo them mm-hmm. and, and like see how well I, I can perform them better now and like without the nerves and stuff. Right, right, right. Because it's just crazy to think just a few months ago I was like so nervous and, and skeptical <laughs> and scared to, to share my, my words. Right, right. And now I love and I was shocked at how open I've been with them. Because mm. for the longest time, like I always wrote, and for the longest time, that would just always be for myself. Mm. And yeah, so I'm really glad I made it my resolution and 
don't know what made it happen. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, screw it. I need to make it a priority. <laughs> Time's now. The waiting yeah. too long. I've been so happy. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. If you didn't tell me that you were nervous, I would have never been able to tell because you didn't seem nervous. <laughs> I remember. It was at Sozo. Okay, because so, I wasn't at well, Sozo. After that was my first performance at Jared's Coffee Shop. Yeah, District I think that might have been in December as well or yeah. in January. And that, that was my second one. Okay, okay. <laughs> so yeah. I was definitely nervous in that too. Yeah, wow. Especially because my parents came to that one. They never saw oh, me do poetry. Okay. So that was a additional. I needed, I forget where I went, but there was a, a restaurant or something there. I needed some liquid courage before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that pizzeria that yeah. like, across the street that serves alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have never been able to tell. I didn't know your, your parents were there. So it's pretty cool that they came out to support you. Yeah, and they're super supportive of my stuff, too, uh, which I wouldn't think they wouldn't be, but it was just, they never even knew I wrote poetry. Like, it was just oh, something really? I kept literally to myself, and wow. I never shared with anybody. Wow. I'm an overthinker, and mm. I think I was scared for a long time because I just never assumed people would be encouraging. So right. I was the big downer, I guess, on myself. Mm. And then so I was pleasantly surprised that, like, wow, yeah, like, awesome, like, I have support. Yeah, I feel like the community here, the poetry community within the Valley has been very supportive, very open, and very helpful for me as well. That's mm-hmm. similar experiences. Do they still come out to some of your readings? When did you come out to them, poetry-wise? So I, I told them, I was just like, I'm going to go do this read like at Sozo. So I went to that by myself. The first okay, one I did okay. by myself, like, see if I could even do it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> And then, yeah, that's when I was like, this experience was amazing, and mm-hmm. hearing everybody else, and uh-huh. it was just awesome. So then I was like, okay, yeah, so I did a poetry reading, you guys can come and see. <laughs> and then, of course, my mother, she wasn't expecting profanity either. <laughs> Most of my poems are like a wow fact, like shocking, kind of mm-hmm. in-your-face kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so that made her more nervous too when I did it, because the first time I'm presenting poetry that my parents are hearing, it's all super in-your-face shocking, <laughs> every word left and right, so that was fun. But they were super proud and loved it. Yeah, they were awesome, and so they still come out every once in a while. My dad's still in the military since he was 18, so oh, wow. his schedule's pretty crazy, too. But it's real nice having my parents support me. Yeah, great. Have they come to Palabras? They should come to Palabras. They have not, but my brother did, oh. and that was... Super awesome, too. My brother is somebody I look up to, mm-hmm. and we're like polar opposites. Really? So, <laughs> to be honest, the poetry scene, I thought it would be like way too out there for my brother. Mm-hmm. Like, he'd think, like, what is this? Like, <laughs> but he was shocked. It was something, it kind of opened his eyes. Like, he didn't know this poetry stuff was out there. And mm-hmm. Yeah, he really, he really liked it, and uh, he's super supportive as well. Nice. So that was nice. cool. Yeah, that meant a lot. For him to go out there and I was able to perform there. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you came with a couple of people, right? Yeah. It was last month, wasn't it? A couple months ago. Yeah. And that was my first time at Palabras. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's really great that they come out and they support you and, you know, different parts of your family. I don't know if you want to disclose, but do, do they 
uh, understand some Spanish? Or? Oh, no. My, my mother is Hispanic, and so my mother's side of the family, mm -hmm. they can speak Spanish. However, like, we grew up, and we were the only non-white family in this little farm town of 1,200 people. Oh, wow. So the Spanish was really only spoken at the house or okay. the family get-togethers. My grandmother, like, she started a family really young. Mm -hmm. So she missed out on education to right. start a family. Right. So the Spanish that my family knows is very our own. It's, it's okay. slang. And unfortunately, my mother was like pretty embarrassed when we moved out here. Mm -hmm. She got a part-time job at a Kohl's, mm -hmm. and mainly because she's bilingual. Mm -hmm. But then she started realizing that a lot of the words that to us, like we know what they are and stuff, mm -hmm. They're totally different. It, like, we kind of had our own slang or our own, like, words that don't even mean the same thing. Oh, wow. But we thought that's how they were because that's how we were taught, like, like my grandmother and stuff. Okay. And so okay. we know Spanish, but it's not Spanish that's taught in the classroom or anything. Right. So it, it did cause difficulty for my mother to actually communicate in wow. Spanish. Uh, I'm sure there's different dialects, too. Just yeah. Yeah. Even within America, but yeah, you no, know, I know for a fact like we have literal words that are like I remember growing up. I would eat for breakfast all the time. It's called we called it atole. Mm. Moved out here and like no, nah, it's arroz con leche. Atole, <laughs> like we had them swapped. Oh, okay. So it, it's like rice and milk and stuff. Right, right, but, right. Yeah. Is it like rice pudding? It's very similar. Okay. It's like okay. porridge almost consistency. Oh, it's really interesting. Good. Okay. Spanish, I know between different Latin American countries are very different. The same words are used differently. Mm -hmm. And also between Latin American Spanish and, of course, Spanish Spanish or Spain Spanish. Yeah. But you, So you don't know the Spanish you speak? So are I actually, like I know like the least amount of Spanish. My brothers, we don't, my oldest brother, uh, he used to do roofing and stuff. Mm -hmm. and so the people we worked with, they don't only speak in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So that helped him out a lot with right, his Spanish. Right. My middle brother him and I are like on the same level like we really don't know Spanish but we know like ours, ours mm -hmm. so like we can talk with our family and stuff but typically right. our family back home we all speak English now that my grandmother passed uh, she was the one everybody right. talked to her in Spanish right. kind of thing yeah it really just depends on the generations and also a few decades ago depending on the region or depending on the family as well there was a lot of pressure to assimilate and so there are families who deliberately lost their, their mm. spanish and so there are uh, latinx people who do not speak spanish at all i remember seeing a video about people who are like well you don't speak spanish what's that yeah you know, i've like, actually i just finished a poem about that that i'm really looking forward to presenting at mm -hmm. uh, palabras yeah that's um, a that's a good venue yeah, to be presenting uh, pretty much about that because like i said we were the only non-white family in this town mm -hmm. we were the espinosas it's my mm -hmm. family's maiden name which is a very common mm -hmm. uh, surname so everybody knew they're like i'm mexican and everything mm -hmm. and i like yeah like or Mexican, but then moving <laughs> out here, <laughs> yeah, then it's like, uh, yeah, it was kind of people saying I'm not like Mexican enough, or I'm not uh -huh, really Mexican because uh -huh. we're from, we're not from Mexico, right, from right, right. farm town, and I can't yeah. speak Spanish and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of like different. Different people have different standards yeah. as to what is Mexican. Yeah. The, right? the biggest thing for me that like it hit me like really was. Uh, I was working as a flight attendant in first class, mm -hmm. and there was a delay when we're 
exiting. Mm -hmm. So you know how everybody in first class, they're ready to get out. Or everybody on the plane. Yeah. Once we land, the seatbelts yeah. are off. They're ready to get off. If the plane would just, <laughs> yeah. like, open up, like, collapse, so, people would be happier. So we were waiting for the jet bridge to attach. So mm -hmm. we're just waiting for, like, a good 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm working first class. I'm right there next to the door. I'm the one that opens it. Mm -hmm. And there was this woman, a uh, Hispanic woman, that she just struck up conversation with me. Mm -hmm. She struck up conversation by saying, you're Mexican? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah. She asked if I could speak Spanish, and I said no. And she was like, your mother didn't teach you? Like, that's a shame. And I was like, wow. Like, you don't know me? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, you for two seconds. Like, no. <laughs> so that, that stuck with me for quite a bit. Mm -hmm. That stuff like that is going into my poem. That I think it's one of my more personal ones that I yeah so I'm, kind of, I'm looking forward to really sharing that yeah yeah since you heard the episode with Rosaura yeah she talked about that a little bit mm -hmm. in her and she said she has uh, that poem I don't think she's read it yet so I wonder if when you Ooh, read yours it okay. will inspire her to read hers yeah. so I would like to hear that one as well because for her as well because she's born here and you were born here as well right I was born in Tennessee Right, yeah. what I mean, okay, the U.S. Okay. Yeah, well, um, she was born and raised in Arizona. In Arizona, right? so yeah, yeah. That's what I was like, oh. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so U.S. born. Yeah, from my name alone, you would never know I'm a Hispanic dog. It's Dallas Dell Summers. And the Dell, is, even though it is Spanish, like of the... Oh, okay. It, that's not why my middle name's Del. Right. My uh, grandfather, his name was Del Mar. Oh, so wow, okay. Name, like, after him, because okay. we share the same birthday. Oh. So... If you see my name on paper, Dallas Del Summers, yeah, I don't think you'd ever think he's got some Latin blood in him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely interesting because when people talk about race, it's very well-defined, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas really race is not very well-defined, especially when you're talking about different communities and people moving around, especially people more or less judge on appearance. Yeah. It's funny because me and my brothers, we all have the same parents. I mean, we're half Mexican, half white. And my oldest brother, he's very dark skinned. Like, mm -hmm. you would almost think he's joking if he said that he's half white. Mm -hmm. My middle brother is very light. And yeah, like, if he told you he's half Mexican, you'd probably think he's joking. Right. And then me, I'm the one that I look mixed, mm -hmm. but uh, a lot of people don't know what so it's like, <laughs> they're just confused yeah. like, like, especially what? with my name too right 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 yeah, so yeah, yeah I get asked that a lot yeah mm -hmm. yeah people don't realize how genetics can affect you know like it's a genetic exactly. lottery yeah. basically yeah. and you, you just never know yeah, spin the wheel. Uh, yeah exactly <laughs> and within a family too mm -hmm. even though I'll bet if all three of you line up people can tell that you're from the same family but still the skin color yeah. might throw them off yep. or something race is just such a very interesting topic. It's a Pandora's box yeah. topic, basically. Anyway, just in closing, even though this is a very interesting <laughs> conversation, where should people go to see you read and how should they follow? Yeah, Sozo Coffee, since that was like the first place I ever did an open mic, mm -hmm. I try my best to go there every month. They mm -hmm. do it on the first Thursday of every month mm -hmm. at like 7 o'clock. Cool. And then... Uh, Palabras as well has like become a second home. I really mm -hmm. just love the environment of it and everything. Yeah. The food, ooh, that's some good stuff. Yeah. And that is on... Every uh, third Saturday of the month. Yeah. yeah, those are the two that I've seen you most. Well, and also District 4. Yeah, I tried making that, but it, with my schedule, it's pretty hard. Yeah, I haven't seen you lately. 
That's true. I want to go. I think I am off. As of right now, yeah. I am. But See what happens. Exactly. Right. So that's for Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue twister. <laughs> and I'm on Instagram as Dallas underscore Dell, D-E-L. Mm-hmm. And then I have another Instagram that has a lot of poetry that I said is more oh, visual. It kind of needs to be oh, nice. read. Right, right. Or uh, I pair it with a picture that kind of goes with cool. the poem. And that's called I am I underscore ponder, P-O-N-D-R. Okay. And that's kind of a ponder questioning when I do my collection, mm-hmm. the name I go by when it comes to poetry. Okay. So I also write fiction and stuff as well. Oh, cool. So I don't know if I want to disassociate the poetry from like short stories and fiction. Right. I like the, the name Ponders with poetry because it's like, Anybody could have done it. It kind of makes you think, like, right. you know, who, who's the author of this? And it could be anybody. So Cool. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, of course. And thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Like I said, I was really looking forward to it. And it's exciting. And Wonderful. like I said, I, I just started doing the open readings uh-huh. uh, in December. So it's like, yeah, I'm still shocked. Like, I'm getting interviewed about a poem that I wrote. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> and resonated and I really appreciate it we kind of started out together because I just started this podcast at the end of December oh awesome ironic well thank you very much of course thank you and that concludes the Sunday June 2nd episode of Poets and Muses I'm your host Imogen A-Rate if you're in Phoenix on Tuesday June 4th please come and see me when I will be performing with the Phoenix Poetry Orchestra at the Film Bar Phoenix at 815 North 2nd Street. And again, you can get the tickets either via the Poets and Muses newsletter link or at thefilmbarphx.com. I hope to see you there. Otherwise, you can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. And as always, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our SoundCloud page. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.